Associated, a podcast making venture capital more accessible. My name is Francesca and I'm joined today by the lovely Lois. Hello, Lois. Hey, Francesca. How's it going? Super excited to start off season four. I can't believe it. We're nearly a year into starting Associated. I know. Isn't that crazy? It doesn't feel like it. But then again, this year doesn't feel like a real year, does it? No, that's very true. Um, But yeah, a big thanks to our listeners that have followed us on the journey so far and a massive welcome to those who have just joined us. And I can't think of a better guest to start off season four than the one that we have today, which is Sam Cash, a principal at Project A Ventures. Welcome, Sam. How are you? I am very well, thank you. Thank you very much for hosting me. It's our pleasure, and we're still sticking the season to remote recording, but I'd love to know where you are now. I am at Project Day's London office, which is in Soho, so smack bang in the middle of London. Cool, and you gave us a bit of a clue there that you're in Project A's London offices. Would you be able to tell us a little bit more about the fund and its structure? Sure. So for the most part, we are a generalist fund. So we tend to be driven by uh, opportunities versus certain themes or theses generally on on technology. Uh, Fundamentally, we're looking for founders with a differentiated and informed insight into a new or existing market. Uh, Personally, I tend to look at uh, companies through the lens of product and distribution. It's also worth noting that we're wholly focused on Europe with our main HQ in Berlin. So when we made the decision to uh, effectively scale into London, it was for some of the obvious reasons. You know, first and foremost, London for the most part is the largest early stage technology ecosystem uh, in Europe, both in terms of dollar volume and exits. Uh, And really, we felt that to invest in the best founders locally, uh, we really needed to have a presence. We needed to have people on the ground and we needed to be engaging with founders in the ecosystem generally in more of a constructive and consistent way. In terms of how we define our edge locally, the operational team that we have is fairly unique within Europe. So we have 90 plus people. Uh, all of which are full-time that work uh, for Project A. So functional experts across the startup building stack. Um, so everything from front-end engineers, back-end engineers, data scientists, QA, uh, product managers. We have in-house sales teams so we can help companies commercialize their technologies faster. We do a lot of marketing, which really sort of stems from one of the key focuses of of one of our founders, Florian Heinemann, who's sort of a a CMO uh, by background and training. He was uh, effectively the CMO of Zalando uh, and built a number of companies prior to that. And historically, we found that that's sort of a structure that works really well for portfolio companies. Um, In terms of what we can add to a founder's experience, you know, first and foremost, we feel that we can really help companies scale across Europe and the US quicker than they'd be able to do so normally. Uh, In addition to that, we are likely to be opening an office in New York at some point to help founders do sort of the Europe to US expansion. Um, Obviously, the timeline for that is TBD. Um, And then beyond that, I mean, one thing that we've typically found is that, you know, having this large operational team really gives founders uh, a place for them to be able to openly riff on ideas. We know that founding a company and certainly being a CEO or C-level 
uh, is particularly lonely. The ability to have sort of an outsourced operational team that you can share ideas with, tackle problems in sort of a, an authentic and aligned way is pretty invaluable. Very interesting. So could you tell us a little bit more about the fund strategy, perhaps the fund size and your average ticket size as well? Yeah, for sure. So we are, we're currently investing out of our third fund, which is um, $210 million. Uh, we typically do checks between a million and $7 million, and we're fairly comfortable investing um, either pre-seed to, to Series A. I'd say our, our sweet spot is probably sort of uh, companies that are post-product and post some some early signs of traction, just so we can diligence end-user demand for the product specifically. Median check sizes are three or four. Um, and historically, I think we've typically skewed towards existing market disruption versus new market creation. That's probably a commonality amongst a lot of the, the companies that we've invested in in the last three to five years. Um, I'd also say that we tend to invest at the top of the, the stack. So typically products that touch end users, be they consumers or enterprises. Uh, and we skew a bit more towards that versus you know, infrastructure or investing in fundamental technologies or deep tech. In terms of founders, we really want to find founders that have a differentiated insight into that market and really understand sort of the specific pain point that they're trying to solve. Effectively, you know, I think when you're investing in existing markets, you really want to find a product or an experience which is 10x versus uh, sort of incumbent solutions or existing solutions. Um, and for us, in addition to that, you know, we want to find founders that can get us excited about what they're building. This isn't vital, but I think what we found over the years is it tends to de-risk some of the other things that are required in building an early stage company, be it hires, sales, PR, or fundraising. Um, Sam, I, I want to dig into the operational team, but I'm conscious about making sure that we follow some kind of structure. <laughs> so maybe we can go back a little bit and talk about your background. You know, how long have you been in VC? Yeah, so, I mean, this is my second venture gig, I would say. And I think my journey into venture was fairly odd. Um, I think most people say that. Well, most people say that they fell into it. I certainly didn't fall into it. Um, but I had sort of a, a long and winding trajectory uh, that has led me into venture. And I think, frankly, it started from a very young age. So from a very young age, was sort of obsessed with computers. Um, and I think that stemmed from A, being an only child and B, being you know somewhat shy. Uh, so I first connected to the internet in the early 2000s. This is kind of in and around the Napster days. And I was pretty obsessed with the internet and the web from, from then on. I think the things that captivated me were sort of predominantly the, the ability to communicate with other people that weren't in your locality and maybe to a lesser extent, the ability to make money online, which to some extent I'm still trying to do <laughs> to, today. Um, what, what's also worth considering is I think in and around then and even sort of through high school for me, I remained obsessed with computers, but it didn't really dawn on me that you could make a viable career out of being obsessed with computers. And I think it only really dawned on me as a career when I left high school uh, and before starting university, I actually did a gap year. I ended up working for a digital agency. So I got this job because I used to 
post on blogs online, predominantly around music and streetwear. And one blog that I uh, sort of generally posted on became relatively popular. That led to this job uh, at a digital agency um, where we were doing a lot of sort of online advertising in and around sort of this is 2007, 2008 time. Um, and it kind of opened to my eyes to the fact that, you know, you could make a career out of this thing. Um, and there was a whole sort of world of opportunity uh, in working with companies and working with startups in building digital campaigns, et cetera. And, and that was hugely impactful. I think it also sort of molded my mode of working or my way of thinking, which was sort of deep project work fairly consistently. Um, which obviously has a, a comparable with how we tend to work in, in venture often. So post that, I went to university in, in London. What were you studying at uni? At engineering. Interesting. Okay. And did that come from the uh, obsession with computers? It came through enjoying building things and also liking mathematics, but not really knowing what I wanted to study, frankly. Um, okay, so it was a more practical application of, of the mathematic interest. It was, yes, um, it was. So whilst at university, it became obvious to me then that I really wanted to work with startups. Um, and I actually went through a process while at university in trying to raise capital for startups, even though I was horrendously underqualified to do so, just because it was kind of the only thing that I thought I may be able to help people out with. And through that process, I actually ended up meeting my first boss, who uh, still to this day, and at the time was at a very big and successful hedge fund here in London. And he was starting a new fund uh, and he wanted to bring me on. They predominantly invested in uh, TMT or technology, media and telecoms, uh, and also to a lesser extent consumer. And that kind of put me on the journey in terms of investing in technology. Um, so beyond that, I got my first job in venture, which was for a London-based fund called Hedo Sophia that do uh, or did at the time Series C investing predominantly in consumer. They've broadened their mandate somewhat. Um, and I typically focused on sort of asset-heavy industries, so industries which were either capital-intensive or SG&A-intensive, all were somewhat regulated. How was it that you came to focus on asset-heavy industries? Um, completely by chance, I think. I worked on a number of investment in sort of real estate technology. Um, and I think one of the things that is evident in venture is that once you start working on uh, an investment or an area that becomes semi-successful, it becomes a bit recursive in terms of you finding sort of relevant deal flow within that sector um, and finding relevant founders that you can work with. It does happen because you're able to effectively reference prior investments and mm. more so you're able to impart knowledge with founders and have more informed conversations in terms of what they're building. So to answer your question, I think it was partly luck that I worked on a few investments which became sort of quote unquote successful. Uh, and from then I sort of continued to double down within those certain uh, focus areas. So you mentioned there working with relevant founders, like how important is it for you to build personal relationships with founders as a component of, of your job? Obviously, you mentioned working with founders a lot at university, um, although, you know, at a 
hedge fund. It's maybe a little bit more uh, numerate focused or a little bit more academic. Um, yeah, so I'm curious to know how important is that component in your your work? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I think the the thing that I found working at the hedge fund is, you know, when you invest in public markets, you are effectively pitting your intellect versus other people because there are very few uh, barriers to owning an equity. You know, you can trade through an index. So it's about having sort of a differentiated insight that no one else has. And I think that remains true in venture, but I think venture is much broader. There's a large interpersonal element. There's a large element of networking. There's an element of search and discoverability, which I find really, really interesting. You know, unearthing early stage founders and early stage startups is was and is a huge passion of mine. So to me, you know, I think the ability to not only work with management teams and founders more closely was appealing, but I think also within venture itself, you need to tap into a much wider skill set. You know, you need to develop uh, relationships. You need to have a network. You need to have a differentiated insight. You need to figure out ways uh, consistently getting an edge versus the the competition. And I think Europe's been a hugely interesting place to kind of develop that. Interesting. So, you know, you, you mentioned great opportunities in the European ecosystem, but I believe after uh, Hedda Sophia, you headed to the States. Is that right? Sure. So my next job was for a place called Betaworks in New York, which is a startup studio. And again, I actually got that role in part, at least an investment that I had done in New York. So I had led an investment in a company called Compass. Um, I was spending a lot of time in New York for that reason. And actually, through the fund that introduced me to Compass through Atomico, they introduced me to John Borthwick, who is uh, CEO of Betaworks. Um, and really, I ended up meeting with John and the rest of his team sort of relatively often. And I think we very quickly developed a, a rapport and a relationship in terms of not only how we thought about founders, but predominantly how we thought about sort of uh, technology products. Um, and I think from building that relationship, they had made me an offer to to join them in New York. And I think, frankly, I'd like to have stayed in London. The thing that's worth noting is I was born in London uh, and I was educated in London. Um, and barring sort of a, a year or so, I've never lived anywhere else. So the opportunity to move to New York uh, and to move to New York to work for an organization like Betaworks was fairly invaluable to me. And maybe I'll give you a bit more of a flavor as what of what Betaworks do. And I think they have some commonalities to Project Day as well. So Betaworks was started in 2008 by John Borthwick and Andy Weissman. Andy Weissman is currently at USV, Union Square Ventures. Um, and they started the company really to uh, build companies from the ground up. So incubate uh, companies in-house really to kind of innovate at the corporate level and to spin out some of those products and companies to turn into sort of standalone uh, organizations. They've done so, they've built 20 plus companies over the last 10 years. 
many of which have gone on to, to huge success. You might have seen very recently Giphy was sold to Facebook for um, a relative, relatively large sum of money. Another company that they built called Dots, a similar story. So they have you know, had a lot of success and built a lot of credibility in doing that. Um, I joined Betaworks effectively on the operational side, so to build companies from the ground up, and we worked on one company whilst I was there. But the core of Betaworks' activities as of today um, is really investing in sort of day zero founders. Got it. It sounds quite similar to like a, almost a hybrid of BCG Digital Ventures, where we, we interviewed Bastian, um, and then perhaps like a forward partners antler kind of model. Yeah, I mean, I think it's similar. Um, I think it's worth noting that Betaworks was sort of part of that first generation of startup studio to, to build that model. They were always insistent on building strong technical product in-house. A lot of the time, they were building technical product to solve their own problems, um, you know, Chartbeat, for example. Um, so giving founders sort of a platform to build and test ideas. Cool. I mean, that, that seems like a super interesting company to work for, especially that it's like spearheading this movement, as you said, not many other companies would sort of be so uh, bold uh, at that time to set up this model. So I'm curious to know, like, what made you you come back to, to London, given sort of the fantastic opportunity in New York? Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, frankly, the reason I came back to London was for family reasons. I'd like to have stayed uh, a bit longer in New York, but needs must. Having said that, though, London being home, I'm, I'm obviously happy to, to be back. Um, and really, when I did that, I reached out to, to Project A for many of the reasons that I had highlighted. You, you know, I think both the genesis of Betaworks and Project A are relatively similar in terms of their want and desire to build companies from the ground up. Um, and it seemed like Project A were really thinking about expanding to London. So it seemed quite fortuitous uh, in that regard. So I joined Project A at the beginning of 2019, uh, effectively to open the, the London office. You know, at a high level, we wanted to be present on the ground here because London is clearly the uh, largest hub for early stage startups um, in the realm that we play in, so sort of pre-seed to, to Series A, you know, London accounts for up to 40% of, of deal flow on, on a dollar basis. So it's it's really evident that having a presence here is valuable. And I guess I was kind of the first of what is now a slightly more developed office uh, in London itself. Cool. Okay. So in terms of like, you talked a little bit about the operational team earlier and I was just wondering how that works logistically is that team distributed so the operational team as I'd mentioned is 90 plus people most of them are based in Berlin historically I would say most of them are remote now uh, mm. and that's obviously been sort of as a factor of uh, recent lockdowns um okay so they're a distributed team and then in terms of how it works in practice is there a limit to the number of people from the operational team who can work for each portfolio company? Is there a sort of cutoff point for when you say hire your own people? Do the startups in your portfolio pay for the time? Like in general, what's the kind of framework for how it works in practice? Yeah, yeah for sure. So, I mean, the, the general framework is that, I mean, first and foremost, you know, I want to say that we don't 
invest in companies where we feel we need to provide them with support. You know, ideally, we want to invest in founders that absolutely do not need our help. We know that the reality of building an early stage startup is that everyone needs help at some point. And when they do need help, we look to plug that gap, if possible, with our operational team. Um, how it works in practice is, you know, we only offer that service to uh, our own founders. Of course, it would make absolutely no sense for us to provide it uh, to other people um, or to other companies. So the general framework of how we work with companies or more specifically the operational team work with them is each company will not only obviously have a contact within the investment team, you know, through sort of usual corporate governance uh, functions of uh, board representation, but they also get what we call a venture development resource. Uh, so this is an individual within the Project A team who is solely tasked with getting a sort of specific understanding of how that company is doing and what specific challenges they have coming up that we might be able to help with. Beyond that, um, we do charge companies back for, for the use of the services, but we tend to do that for, for a few reasons. It's worth noting that we always charge companies back below cost price, so there's obviously no conflicts of interest. Um, but we do that, um, one, because obviously it would be a, a huge cost center for us, though it remains a, a cost center as is. Um, and two, most importantly, if there wasn't some kind of gating function, it means that the use of resources of the operational team might be unlimited. Um, you know, we have 50 plus companies in the portfolio currently, all of which have a huge need for, you know, strong talent, whether that be on the engineering side or on the business side. I mean, if we didn't have some kind of gating function, um, it might mean that the drag on resources is um, very hard to manage. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think that's that's a really good question, Lois, given that, you know, for listeners that aren't too familiar with how a venture capital fund works is that you have that 200 million, as, as Sam mentioned, um, and then, you know, you hope the majority of that is going into investing in the startups. And then you have a percentage of that that you call an operations fee, which pays the salaries of the employees. And I would say in a normal fund, if you just picked one off the shelf, so to speak, you'd have maybe eight to 10 people uh, on the team. So having 90 full-time staff, in addition to an investment team like that, that is a, a big cost. So it makes sense that you're charging your startups um, rather than taking funds out of the LP's pocket, so to speak, that should be distributed into startups. Is that right, Sam? Yes, that's correct. I mean, it is worth also noting that we really don't want companies to be reliant on us. So when a company works with anyone from our team on, you know, whether it's a project of a few days or multiple months, we always look to effectively hire people for the companies themselves into those roles. We want to make the companies less dependent on us as soon as possible. It's really important for startups to have core competencies themselves and not to be reliant on external partners to, to help with that. Definitely. So, so have you had quite a few people from that operations team uh, move into some of your portfolio uh, in full-time positions? Yes, we've had about 
up to a third of our operational team that then actually end up working for our portfolio companies. And this is kind of by design, you know, hiring talent is always a challenge. Um, and if we can give the companies that we work with effectively an on-ramp to do that, uh, then it's obviously beneficial f- for both us and the portfolio companies themselves. One thing where we sort of specifically identified a problem in Europe is around sales talent. So we've actually built a graduate sales program internally at Project A. We onboard new graduates. They work for a number of our portfolio companies for a period of six to 18 months with the explicit goal of then joining them after. That's super cool. It's a great way to to have a guinea pig experience, right? Um, Of, you know, what company you might want to work for without committing to them straight away. Very nice. And, And just going back to setting up solo in London, you know, what, what was that like? Because as you said, majority of the team are in Berlin. So obviously now everyone's so used to remote working. You're almost ahead of the game there, having to sort of set up shop independently. So I'm curious to know, like, what was that like? And, and how did you try and ensure that, uh, you know, you were connecting ties with the core hub, but also making sure that the, the name of Project A was getting out there in London? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it was and is hugely challenging. I think we've definitely come a long way from day zero now. I mean, we've done, you know, a handful of UK-based investments. We've expanded the office to two and a half people, um, two people full-time and one person who spends half of his time in in London and potentially looking to make more hires out into the future. Um, But really sort of day zero uh, kind of landing on the ground in London was, of course, a huge challenge. And you know, remains a challenge on on a number of different fronts, um, predominantly just because the London ecosystem is so competitive. But I think what was important for us to do on day zero is probably a fewfold. I think first, it was important for me to get a really good handle on the culture of Project A, on the investing style of, of Project A, how we think about founders, how we think about markets, products, et cetera. Beyond that, of course, there's always an element of interpersonal, which I think is really important in investing. For the most part, when you are um, wanting to drive an investment forward, there can be a lot of interpersonal relationships that that come to the fore. And I think it's always important for for others to understand, you know, how everyone around the table thinks. So part, part of that was, you know, spending a good body of time with the rest of the investment team initially in Berlin for uh, over a month. Beyond that, you know, kind of coming to London, I think the thing that was probably most important for us was making sure that, you know, founders and VCs alike knew that we now had a presence on the ground and that we were looking to be more active. Beyond that, really giving people uh, an insight into how we work you know, not only our operational team, uh, not only our portfolio, but really sort of the areas that excite us from an investment standpoint. And and I got to say, I mean, that was a fairly long process. I mean, to some extent, it's still ongoing, but I think we've made really good progress over the last year or so. I mean, needless to say, the last six months have been vastly changing, but but I I think we've made good progress as, as a London office. And I think we've got some strong momentum in terms of the London ecosystem. Great. Um, and and you mentioned now you're two and a half people. 
So I was curious to know, you, you've obviously hired a, another person to your team, is that right? That is correct, yes. So I, I'd love to know, probably because it's relatively front of mind, how did you go about recruiting for this individual? Yes, we, we always had a want and desire to expand the team here, expand the presence in London. We just hired a, a new associate, Luke. Um, and really the, the process itself was, was hugely interesting. Certainly for me, it's, it's the first time that I've gone through a more formalized process of looking to, to hire someone into a venture team. Um, I think the things which were most interesting were, A, the volume of applicants that we had. So we only had the application open for, I think, two weeks, and we posted it on very few channels and communities, but we had about 250 people applying. I think we probably spoke to 40 or 50 individuals that kind of made it through the first pass. And then we gave, I think, about 10 to 15 of those uh, individuals case studies to to undertake. Um, I think one of the things for me which was really inspiring was just how high the quality bar is of individuals that want to get into venture. Um, specifically, you know, people who are not currently in venture but have sort of related roles or in related jobs. Um, a lot of those individuals have been hugely proactive in terms of showing their want and desire to be in this industry. I think one of the things beyond that that I found really inspiring is that I kept thinking to myself, if I was applying for this job, frankly, I would never get it. Um, so it was great to see people who are both sort of academically more intelligent, um, more motivated, et cetera, uh, applying for those roles. Yeah, definitely. I think, I think it's quite interesting to, I can imagine, uh, when you're hiring for a role, like obviously you, you have a strategy that you go about finding startups. Did you kind of use that skill set that you that you use to identify up and coming startups to identifying new candidates, whether that's like the interview style and structure that you did, or kind of avenues for for identifying them. To, to some extent, I mean, at the core, working in venture is about identifying talent. So, of course, there are some comparables, and I, I think. It would be foolish of me to say otherwise. What's worth also mentioning is I think we had really made a concerted effort as a team uh, to hire people from slightly uh, differentiated networks. Um, so we, we've actually been hiring for three separate roles, all of, all of which we, uh, we we've, have completed uh, those hires. Um, But one of the things that we had decided as an organization is we don't want to hire specifically within the existing networks that we have. We really want to branch out and find people from different backgrounds, from uh, with different experiences that could be valuable to us. In terms of how we structured the the processes, the, the three hires, we ran three separate processes. But for the one that I was charged with, we really wanted to kind of um, we kind of we wanted to solve for a few things. First of all, we wanted to bring someone on board that had some uh, technical capabilities. In addition to looking for those things, I think there were two key points that we wanted to solve for. I think first and foremost is uh, finding candidates with a verifiable and evident passion for technology entrepreneurship or venture capital. 
um, really getting an understanding of what those individuals are looking for for a role in venture and their motivations for working in venture. You know, is it about helping founders or is it about them? Second to that, you know, and as I'd said before, we we really wanted to find people in somewhat different networks to the ones that we have already. Uh, and really, that's a different way of saying people that might have different opinions about technology. Beyond that, we want the individuals that have the confidence and ability to communicate those opinions to the team thoughtfully. There's lots of really easy to consume media now about technology and investing generally. And we don't just want to find people that regurgitate some of those opinions. That's fantastic. Really, really interesting answer. Thanks, Sam. Sam, do you mind if I ask how you went about, um, you said you wanted to hire people from like outside of the network that you, I guess, was closest to you and that you'd already cultivated. Did you do anything specific to get the call out in those two weeks kind of beyond that? So, I mean, I think the specific thing that we did do was find individuals within the European ecosystem that had slightly different networks to us or complementary networks to us where we weren't currently involved. Uh, And we kindly asked them to uh, share it with relevant participants that they knew or people that might be looking for a role within venture. And and going forward, now that you've hired Luke, and a big congratulations to him, because obviously it was a very competitive process. Um, Are are there particular sectors that you're particularly excited about, particularly in the the London startup scene that um, yourself and Luke are going to be going after? Sure. So historically, uh, and as I'd mentioned, we've invested in a lot of companies disrupting existing markets. Um, I don't think that will change going forward. Um, We've also done a lot of investing in fintech, healthcare, mobility, industrials, uh, real estate technology. Um, I mean, a lot of sort of the big, large themes that we've seen evolve over the last economic cycle. I think a lot of those can be characterized by being sort of relatively asset heavy or SGNA heavy or are in sort of existing regulated industries. Going forward, we expect to still be involved in some of those key themes, but I think we're going to be spending more time on software, SME, SaaS, uh, fintech. And personally, I'm looking at a lot of things within uh, collaboration and machine learning ops. So if there are any founders out there, please hit me up if you're building within one of those spaces. Cool. That's that's good to know to all the startup founders listening in. Um, and, and going forward, obviously, you've just made this hire. But um, in the future, uh, will you be hiring more in London or, or keeping it to a very lean team? So there is the potential for us to be making one more hire in London. We're currently in the process of figuring that out. Mm-hmm. Going forward, we will always be um, looking out for talent. We always remain opportunistic in terms of the people that we want to bring on board. Um, We are not strictly hiring for a role as of now, but we always have our ear to the ground in terms of uh, relevant uh, talent to join the team. Okay, so you've given some good tips about your your typical hiring process. So Anyone that, that's looking for a role in VC, you know, make, make sure that you take those tips on board, I'd say. <laughs> and re- really the thing I would say about getting into venture is um, I think there's been a, 
an acceleration in terms of you know new grads uh, who want to enter enter venture capital. I think for for better or worse, it is kind of uh, one of the hot uh, jobs to have at the moment for a whole host of reasons. Um, but I, I think really the thing that I would say to people that want to enter the industry is do make sure you're entering the industry for the right reasons. Um, really do your homework in terms of what the day-to-day consists of, whether the day-to-day excites you, whether technology entre- entrepreneurship excites you, um, and whether sort of the negatives of the job will continue to excite you. Great. Well, thanks, Sam. I think that was really helpful. Um, and hopefully some people will be able to take a look at Project A, see what you're all about. And if they think they can add value to the team, then they'll get in touch with you. Um, actually, just out of interest, where can where can people find you? How can they get hold of you? The best place to get hold of me is on Twitter. So at Sam underscore underscore cash. Cool. Great. OK, so they can get to know a little bit about what you're interested in from your Twitter as well. Um, but to assist with that, we're going to end on our question segment. Um, and this season, we're going all in on the quick fire round. So if it's all right with you, Sam, we're just going to close with sure. a couple of lighthearted questions. Quick fire, just whatever, you know, tell us what your heart says. Sounds good. Great. OK, so. We already know that you've gone back to the office, so this question is well tailored to you. Are you the kind of guy who prepares lunch or do you buy lunch? Oh, that's a good question. I buy lunch, but I've actually been preparing lunch the last few weeks um, as I'd wanted to give it a go, but I'm not sure how long that's going to last, quite frankly. (laughs) Okay, so you've been giving it a go, but it's not for you. We're going back to prep. Exactly. Actually, are you going to be doing the Pret subscription? I'm not. I know a few people that have done it already and seem to be very happy with it, but we have coffee here in the office, so it's it's not relevant for me. I saw something last week about the company that powers that subscription service um, raising a big round, so they must be doing something right. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Okay, great. Question two. when you have initial meetings with founders, do you ask more questions about the team or the product? It depends on the stage. So it's oftentimes when we speak to companies at seed, um, you know, more of the bet itself will lean towards the team, depending exactly what stage they're at, whether they have a product or not. At Series A, probably a bit less on the team versus seed, but it's obviously still a big component of our investment. Yeah. And sometimes we get investors who sort of immediately go for one over the other, which is, of course, not to say that one is more important than the other, just about, you know, where your head instinctively kind of goes. Cool. Okay. Final question. This is one of our favorites. It's not really in keeping with the quick fire round because we ask it so much, but it's always so funny. (laughs) So the question is, if you were to start your own fund, what would you name it? I would call it Socratic. And purely because that is the name of my newsletter and I'm not creative enough to think of another name. I think that's pretty good. And to be fair, with a name like Sam Cash, you're kind of fine already, aren't you? I'm I'm good to go, yes. (laughs) um, There's this thing called nominative determinism, which means your name dictates the career that you go into. So, for example, Usain Bolt could only have been uh, a sprinter, but... I guess Sam Cash is probably a good example of that also. I also have a lot of people who take the piss out of my name and the fact that I work in venture. (laughs) I think it's a great name. That's very kind of you.
<laughs> Francesca, you could have a good venture name as well. Does anyone call you Czech? Oh no, that name's already been cha- taken in the <laughs> <laughs> Great, awesome. Thank you, Sam. And thanks so much for sparing some time to have a chat with us and tell us more about Project A and um, uh, what you're up to in the London office. This has been great. And hopefully some people will reach out to you, uh, whether they've got opportunities for you or whether they want to work for you. Awesome. Thank you very much for having me. Yes, thank you so much, Sam. And thank you again to our lovely listeners for joining us today. As ever, please like and share to all friends and family. And uh, if you want to drop us a line, please do at Associated podcast at gmail.com or on twitter at associated underscore pod thanks again bye bye